You're listening to The Marlowe Podcast. Each week, we bring on experts to help you navigate your career. As an individual, it's super important for you to kind of always be paying attention to whether you're growing or not. Today's episode is with Sandy Lucas. She's a buying manager at Mastrop, and she's responsible for four communities and has two direct reports. And today, Sandy and I talk about what it's like to be an individual contributor working on her own responsibilities day in and day out, while also managing a team and keeping them motivated to reach their targets. If you're not familiar with Mastrop, go check them out. They're a community-driven commerce platform, and they make products with input from their members and give them a place to connect, learn, and shop with each other who share those same interests. In Sandy's day-to-day at Mastrop, she's moving from negotiating with vendors to communicating with community members and then right back to motivating her team. We dive into how you can take the lead on your own career development and constantly continue to grow. Sandy talks a little bit about what managers expect from their direct reports and how those direct reports can really shine and show their potential. All right. Well, thanks for joining. My name is Mary and I'm with Marlo. And today I have with me Sandy Lucas, who is the buying manager at MassDrop. Sandy, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. Sure. I'm happy to be here. So we are going to talk today about people management, but specifically, I'm excited to learn more about how you've navigated your career from managing teams at much larger companies and then moving to the startup world and how you've seen trends kind of shift between those different worlds. Um, Before we get into it, do you want to walk us through your experience so far and, and what you've been up to? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been at MassDrop um, about three and a half years, almost four years, and I started as a buyer in the quilting community and then um, moved into a buying manager role overseeing uh, three other different communities, so quilting, knitting, hobby, and writing, and I also have two direct reports um, now at MassDrop. And... um, you know, I worked as a buyer at a, a large company at Pottery Barn, and before that at another startup that had been further along, though, Design Within Reach. So um, so I've had a mix of experience um, managing people in different roles. At Pottery Barn, it was uh, much smaller. We had, like, you know, one direct report. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just like whether it's one or three or four, you use the same skill sets and um, yeah, you develop a, your own style. So it's interesting because in both situations, you're on the one hand, you have your direct report who you need to make sure is being developed and has mm-hmm. the access to the resources they need. And then on the other hand, you have your own targets that you have to hit on a daily yeah. basis and, and mm-hmm. what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so balancing that responsibility with making sure that you have this team member who's coming along. Um, yeah. We, we can dive into that a little bit further um, into our conversation. I want to learn more about it. How did you, before we do that, how did you get into, you know, being the buying manager for quilting? Um, this is a topic that I think is really interesting and some of our <laughs> listeners, it feels like it was a little bit of a transition for you. Yeah. So, um, so buying, it's really funny as a buyer, you develop a skill set, and it's analyzing your business and making strategic business decisions on how to grow that business. And you'll hear a lot of buyers, traditional buyers say, it doesn't matter if you like what you're buying for. You don't have to like it to be a good buyer. There's a lot of buyers that are buying like outdoor, you know, 
hardware or, you know, a lot of men sometimes are buying women's intimates or, you know, it's, it's, so you don't necessarily have to be passionate about that. And that's where mass drop is a little bit different where when I started, they were looking for people who were enthusiasts or who had some knowledge of the areas. And um, my background in Pottery Barn, you know, working with textiles and the upholstery department and myself being a sewer, not a quilter, but I've, I grew up sewing and I've always was loved it and was a big hobby. I, you know, made all my clothes in uh, high school. <laughs> um, so, so I think it, it wasn't a, a huge stretch for me to jump into something that I wasn't, you know, super familiar with, but I had enough of knowledge on sewing to make that turn, you know, for mass drop to feel okay with um, bringing me on board. Yeah, absolutely. And watching that transition of, as you said, you know, MassDrop is different. MassDrop, I mean, maybe it's better to have you explain what MassDrop does rather than have me explain it. So MassDrop is an online community of enthusiasts. And what we do is we kind of merge together the ability for people to have communities online where they can also then purchase, you know, really great products at a great price. Um, in, that, in that regard, it's different because of the community aspect. You know, people can purchase things online at other retailers, but they don't have the ability to actually reach out and post comments or questions asking people in the community or people at MassDrop specific things. And then a buyer in general, you mentioned before, whether here or at Pottery Barn before, you're essentially the, the CEO of this department who gets to decide like what merchandise you'll be bringing into the company yep. and what you'll be selling. And um, it's a pretty complex job from what I understand. How did you get into buying in general? So my background is actually uh, interior design of all things. And I did that for a long time. And there's a really big crossover between merchandising and design. Um, there's a lot of, cause there's home goods and there's home furnishings, right? So I was doing interior design for a while and I really liked it, but I wanted to get into buying. And so that was how I landed at Design Within Reach. Cause they felt that having that background for interior design, they're like, well, you've learned all that. We don't have to, you know, that's much harder to teach. We can teach merchandising. And um, so I landed there and was there for a couple of years before I then moved on to Pottery Barn. And as everyone knows, Pottery Barn is also another home goods, you know, store. That I've spent way too much money at. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, this, so transitioning from those two companies and, but, but using all of those same skills, it sound like, sounds like that's a pretty strong theme throughout your career. You've had experience leads you to opportunity and that opportunity leads you to the next opportunity. Yeah, I think it's, you know, and I think this kind of segues into some of the things we wanted to talk about is like, basically it's like taking ownership of your career and your career path and where you want to go. And um, as an individual, it's super important for you to kind of always be paying attention to whether you're growing or not. What are you learning? Where do you want to be in one year, in five years? in 10 years and where do you see yourself and how are you navigating your current position into those career goals that you do have? Um, yeah. So I just segued into <laughs> Yeah, no, I was gonna, let's keep so, doing that because you're moving into that. Like how you mentioned, you've said before that, you know, if an individual can think a little bit more like a manager and kind of understand how their goals align with the goals of the organization, what, trends have you seen in different organizations in terms of like helping those individual contributors think through 
how they can get to the next level. And, and even if that next level isn't within the same company, right. any advice there? Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it really, it, I, I feel really strongly that it's dependent on the individual to own their career path. And, and that's something that is, I think once you get on board with that and you get, you're like, okay, I own, I own my career path. It's much easier for you to then go to your manager or a mentor and say, Hey, here's where I want to be. Here's the skills that I want to learn. And you are then kind of driving where you want to be. And that is basically like, if you are in a role and you are thinking like if you want to be a director, you need to kind of be thinking about what their skill sets are that they're doing. And a lot of times as people are moving up in, in a company, one of the biggest things that they are tasked with is taking responsibility and making decisions. A lot of times you'll see employees that they'll just, they're maybe they're really hard workers, but they wait for that checklist. Like, here's what you have to do. And it's the people that take initiative and they're like, you know what, I'm just going to try this. I'm just going to do it. And maybe, maybe they'll have answers from here. Maybe they'll tell me, well, that's done wrong. But nine times out of 10, if somebody's showing initiative and they're doing something, that's going to be much more well-received than them not doing anything or just waiting for it to be told what to do. And then when you are that person who wants to become, so if you're the person who is waiting and wondering, what do I do next? How, what advice or tips do you have for somebody who, who does want to take more initiative, but where do you even start? How have you seen your direct reports do this well? Yeah. So, um, I think it's a really hard thing. I think because people they're learning and so they don't have that confidence level. And if you don't have that confidence level, it's easy to be like, okay, I'm in this learning mode. I don't know what I'm doing and it takes a while. And I think it, it, it's a two way street. You know, I think it, it takes a good manager to be able to boost people's confidence and say, okay, here's what you're, here's where you're doing a great job. And here's where you, I see some room for improvement. And that's, that's the part where like, if you have a manager who is not good with feedback, it's up to you to manage them. And a lot of times you'll hear you need to manage you up you need to manage your bosses and that's not how to make their jobs necessarily easier it's about how you can interact with them and get what you need from them like if you know that you're an employee that wants regular feedback and your manager has a hard time keeping meetings then you need to figure out ways that you can still meet with them and get what you need and that may be like okay here i just need five minutes of your time or you're sending an email saying with very direct, like, yes, no questions so that they don't have to read through everything. They're just like, yes, no, on to the next thing. So it's learning what their style is, marrying that with your style, and then kind of merging. And it also helps to find a mentor. Like if you don't have, if you don't find that you're getting what you need from your manager, it's helpful to have a, a mentor at someone else in the company or even outside of the company that can help give you, you know, honest feedback. How have you been able to find mentors in the past? Are some, we get this question often around, mm-hmm. I know that I need a mentor, but I have no idea how. And then you hear all these people who, you know, senior leaders who say that random people in the organization are like, Hey, you, I want to, I want you to be my mentor. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So how, how have you seen that done effectively? 
I actually, I haven't seen that done a lot very effectively. One of the things that I've learned is that you, you will, you'll find people who are helpful or who will go out of their way in the organization to, to lead different types of uh, projects. And those are the people that typically are more open to it. So maybe they're not in the same area that you want to be at, but you, you're recognizing some type of leadership skill set in them that you don't have, and you can reach out to them. I find with women, it's fine. It's, it's good to find other strong women that are open to wanting to help other, you know, young people advance. Um, so it's, it's, an interesting thing I haven't seen it too but I haven't like when I, at Pottery Barn I just there was no mentorship whatsoever so this is pretty interesting yeah and it, we we talked to a lot of companies who say that they tried to launch a mentorship program and then it flopped like miserably. Yeah. and I think that that's the more common situation because mentorship is a relationship and it's finding somebody like to your point who can guide you through that process and help you think right. through what you need to accomplish right. um and we're often compared, you know, from coaching to mentorship mm -hmm. and how I see mentorship differing from coaching. And really they're, they're so, it's very loud outside. One second. <laughs> um, di uh, mentorship differing from coaching is that with a mentor, they can actually give you their own experience and say, here's how it, here's what happened to me. And mm -hmm. here's what you can do with that information take it or leave it. Whereas right. coaching is usually more around questions and digging deeper for your own experience and not the coach saying, here's what you should do. So right. um, it's invaluable. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I actually have not had a mentor, you know, I've never had one and I, and there was a period of time where I did, I felt like I really wanted to have one uh, when I was younger and I just didn't know how to go about it. And I think that, yeah, I think it, you know, I'd be open. Like if someone were to come to me and say, Hey, I, I would, you know, would you be my mentor? I would absolutely do it. I also think it's, it would be kind of cool to do it outside of the company. And I think, cause I think then you have a bit of, you have different experience that you're, you're able to glean from cause they have different experience. And, um, yeah, you know, I just think, yeah, it's important. And to your point, like it, it's not always easy to find someone. So you heard it here. Sandy's offering to be mentored. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can you, I want to go back to the startup scene, you know, yeah. we're talking about having that, um, sort of self motivation to yeah. take the initiative on your own career. Yeah. And I imagine, well, I know that in startups that is incredibly important. Yes. How, well, can you describe the environment of a startup for, for people who are looking to grow their career and what you've experienced? Yeah. So I, one of the biggest things I, I think for success for people for success at a startup is that you just have to, you have to be comfortable with uh, the unknown and you have to be comfortable making mistakes. Like if you can, because if you're not making mistakes, then you're not necessarily moving forward because you're not trying different things. That's one of the things that I love about a startup is that they're still trying to figure out how to move forward. They're still trying to figure out different avenues of what's working and what's not working. So their expectation is that you are making mistakes because you need to try different things to see what's going to work. And um, if you are able to do that and try different things and it's usually a good fit it's like taking ownership of your business like you said it's like you're basically like a ceo or an entrepreneur of your little silo you're making the business decisions you are saying okay here's what i'm going to try this is what's working this is not working 
and I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to pivot and go this way. And you have to, you have to be uncomfortable just knowing you don't know everything. Right. But just going with the confidence, like, well, I'm smart. I'm going to figure it out. I am not, may not work this time, but I'm going to learn something about the process that I can eventually use somewhere down the road. So and that's where feedback matters so much because if you, that's where, if you yeah. can't ask for feedback, you have no idea how you're doing. So exactly. And in a startup, there's not a lot of time for feedback. There isn't. And you just have to kind of be open to it when it comes and you have to ask for it if you're not sure. But what I have found that works is that I just, if I ask a question and I'm not getting an answer, I'm just going to move forward with what I think is best. So I'm going to trust my judgment. And if then it's not the right decision, then they'll come and tell me. But nine times out of 10, they're appreciative of the fact that I've actually made a decision and moved forward and, and did something. And um, so I think that's the biggest thing. And I think that's one of the things that I like most about the startup world. Like, I don't, I think it would be hard to, um, I don't want to say it would be hard to go back to a retail organization but I actually think it would be. Um, I think it's just that when you are so, those companies are so big, it makes it really difficult to make changes in your process or in your strategic thinking. And that just feels a little old and dated, especially, I mean, one could say that I've been at this, that I've been at a startup for too long. I've been here for four years, right? That's kind of not normal either. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think you just find what works. And in a larger company, maybe it's not about size, but more around the structure of the culture, right. that startup culture, do you find is it, you've said it's more open to making mistakes and experimenting, seeing what works. Right. Is it also more open to cross team collaboration, sort of getting a chance to share ideas with other, other teams? Yes, absolutely. And the reason being is because you, they're just like, you're just starting out, right? So you are wearing so many different hats. And like, if you have experience in something, then you can help another team that may not have that knowledge. So, and there's a lot of cross collaboration and cross functional partnerships, and those are huge. So if you are good at building relationships and, you know, working cross functionally, um, it's just, and you can wear so many different hats. Like that's a part, like it's not, it's never boring because you're constantly, there's always something to do and there's always something to learn. You're responsible for a lot of recruitment. I, if I remember correctly, that you've been on recruitment committees before and interviewed right. people to join the team. Mm -hmm. What thoughts, so as somebody who's thinking that they either, and we get this all the time, people who say, I've never worked in a startup. I'm, they're going to think I'm not qualified or I um, have never worked in that type of startup. As you're interviewing people or giving um, others advice, what have you seen work really well in helping describe your experience from say moving from that bigger retail company and applying it to a startup? Any, any thoughts there? Well, I think, I think you just, it goes back to what you had said. It's about like being comfortable, like owning your business and making decisions, like being entrepreneurial. And I think if there are people that can still do that in those larger companies and they can still navigate that. So I think that's the biggest takeaway is like, you know, like when I'm interviewing for people, um, it's definitely with that mindset of like, you know, you have maybe 
because we're definitely interviewing people that come from traditional retailers and it's really interesting because it works for some people and it just doesn't for other people and it and I think the biggest question I have for people is like are you comfortable getting into the weeds and are you comfortable getting out of the weeds and driving the business and are you comfortable building a spreadsheet and doing assistant buyer type roles in addition to you know managing people because at a startup that's what you need to be able to do a lot of different things because it's they don't have all those people in place yet or the processes in place or the even the roles in place yet to kind of actively like you know have people working in those positions and I, yeah, so I think I just, that's something that I'm always asking people, like how comfortable are you doing the grunt work along with not doing the grunt work? Because you're not going to have somebody to parse all off the, that stuff too. On a day to day, are you working more internally or more externally? Obviously as a buyer, it sounds like you're talking with a lot of different vendors. Yeah, it's What's kind of it's both, honestly, because like this, particularly here, we do a lot of um, cold calling and outreach to potential new vendors. So we, and deal, maintaining with vendor relationships, you know, um, it's probably, you know, from my roles, it's probably like, you know, 60 internal, you know, 60, 65 internal. Um, yeah, I'd say just, yeah. So 60% internal, 40% external? Or? Yeah, 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 35%. Which requires like this whole new skill set of being yeah. able to like turn on the external facing side of you and, and right. be able to get down to business. Yeah. I'm looking through here. I will clip this one second. Um, so for somebody who is, you know, we talked about like navigating your own career. Right and taking it to the next level, mm -hmm. how can you, and, and it's okay to not use specific examples, but how can somebody who maybe doesn't have a manager who can give mm -hmm. them great feedback and is really trying to manage up, right? If, you're, if you have a manager in a startup, this happens all the time, who doesn't have a lot of experience in managing individuals, right. how have you been able to navigate that yourself or, or see others do it well? within your organization. You know, I think that again it just goes back to owning what it is you what your goals are and what you feel like you need and want from your career. And I think once you can answer those questions then that helps you kind of get what you need or go to who you think can can help with that. You know, as a startup, it is it is an interesting have I mean especially for me, because I do have more, I do have a lot more experience than some of the other people. Um, but the one thing I did, I have found at MassTrap is that while people may not have had a lot of experience, they were open to that and understanding or recognizing that. So I never felt, I never felt strange to me that I was, I had bosses that were, you know, recently out of college. Um, and I think I'd like to think that I helped them as well. Like, you know, like, as far as like, Hey, here's, here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I'm, this is what I need. Um, and getting that information. And, you know, I think sharing that information then kind of helps set them up like, Oh, if she's looking for that, maybe other people are looking for that as well. That desire to, I mean, it, it takes a little bit of 
risk and the ability to take risk. Do you yeah. consider yourself like a risk taker in general? You know, it's funny. I'm not, I, I never did. I, I'm more of a um, scrappy, like worker bee. Like I will do whatever it takes to get something done. Um, I'll figure it out and I'll use any resources that I have available to me and, uh, and I'll come up with my own processes. And I think that um, has allowed me to take more risks because I know, well, you know, I'm going to try it. If it doesn't work, I'm going to resort to something else. So um, I, I would say that in the last like few years, I've definitely become more of a risk taker just by nature of being in this environment. But it, it wasn't naturally the case. So that, that's good for people who are, are considering it. You, you mentioned that you're able to get experience by just seeing what works and what does it. How do you narrow in to make those decisions when you're making a decision that may or may not work? Um, how do you like figure out, do you pull in resources? How do you? Uh, well, our, in our day-to-day -day particular, it's like I get to, um, I, like, I'm looking at sales information, like I'm analyzing business and I'm using that to make my decisions, like on how I'm building my assortment or how I'm going to develop a new process. So for me, it's just, I'm just kind of taking in like all the information that I have available. And it, it is a, it is an odd thing at first, to, especially when you're coming from a place that is like, here's our process. This is what you're doing. Don't never stray. And we do the same thing over and over again. Um, but there was a, between Pottery Barn and actually Mastrop, I actually was home with my son for a couple of years. And just to kind of keep my mind fresh and up to date. I, I started a little business. It was like a party in a box business and I had to do everything. And that really like just taking on that exercise, it was never done intentionally to be like, become this big thing. It was more like, I want to stay relevant. And just by doing that, it put me in a different mindset. So I would suggest if that is something that you are if you're not comfortable taking risks put yourself in a position where you are actually doing these exercises that force you to do it and it, it just kind of it that in and of itself gives you confidence like oh i made some decisions oh i tried this and it didn't work and you know what or it worked and great and that for those moments of take one step and you can get you learn something in that step and that gives you more information to make the next decision. And it's, exactly. it's, it's never like you're just jumping off of a cliff. Right. I Although think, sometimes I do feel like I'm floating. <laughs> yeah. But I think you, you, as you make more decisions for yourself and, and as they turn out right or wrong, you then begin to develop a whole, like your self-confidence of like, Oh wow, I tried this. I know this doesn't work. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to take this into account now. So it's just, it's all, it's just like a roadmap for yourself. And that confidence is huge. If nothing else, it just gives you the confidence to know like, Oh, well I did it and it worked great. Or I did it and it didn't work. And guess what? I'm still standing. You know, and I think that is huge. I didn't plan to go here, but I think it's really important. Do you have any tips for women who are, or men who have taken that leave and are going back into a more traditional work environment? Um, was that a big process for you or did it happen pretty smoothly? Uh, it was, it was challenging. You know, even though I was out only two years and I, you know, was doing my own thing, it, it was, it was hard. It definitely was hard. Um, and you have to find the right, 
environment, you know, I mean, I, I jumped right in from not necessarily having to be somewhere for, you know, two years to working like 60 hour weeks. And it worked because the company was definitely one of their biggest things that they really pride themselves on is their flexibility. You know, and I think when you are asked at a startup, you know, you, it's okay for companies to say, Hey, we are a startup. We need people to give more than 40 hours, you know, and there are a lot of people that want to do it and boost their career. They get things out of it. And when you're doing that, you have to be flexible, right? Like, cause you can't expect everybody to be there from like eight to like, you know, 10 at night. So it allows people to, to do that. And having that flexibility was huge. So like being able to jump in and work all those hours right off the bat and, um, but have a flexible schedule was really kind of what, what allowed that me to do that. But it's hard. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> we have a lot of people who ask about it. It's, it's a tough mm -hmm. um, process and, you know, even just getting your resume back out and really yeah. digging back into it can, can feel more complicated. Yeah. Um, and then from the, from the hiring side, I can say, it, you know, a few years is nothing when you've got all that experience behind you. So right. hopefully, hopefully that helps some of our yeah, listeners yeah. today. Yeah. And I think a lot of companies now, a lot of, a lot of the things are all like web-based anyway, right? Internet-based. Like, so it's like, you're using Google Sheets. I mean, you, you use that regularly anyway for, you know, usually you're, so it's just, it's just also just trying to make sure that while you're out, you're staying kind of relevant to what's happening in your industry by reading information, going to talks and just so that it doesn't necessarily feel like it's this huge vacuum for yourself. Before we wrap up, do you have any best advice or best practices that you've received throughout your career that you'd want to share? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't stress enough the, the ownership of your career and really just making sure that you are comfortable speaking up for what it is you want and being honest with yourself about what it is you want. Because if you can't be honest with yourself, you're, you won't necessarily get what you need. So if you can say in five years, I want to be a vice president you at least have something that you're tracking towards or, or being honest and saying, Hey, I, I'm not the manager type, but I'm, I'm good at getting tasks done. And so I, I want to make sure I'm aligned with a company that doesn't necessarily feel that if you're not moving up the ladder, you're not contributing, you know? So once you're able to actually identify your goals and what you want, then you can align yourself with companies and hopefully with, um, hiring managers that have the same goals. We're hearing this more and more, the number of people who come to us and say, I'd like to get promoted and I'd like to climb the ladder, but I don't want to manage people. I have no desire to manage people. And I yeah. think we're in a world right now where that's fine, where yep. you can actually get there and, and you can even increase your salary quite a bit over time without yeah. managing people. And I think that's yeah. And I think that was a big, that was a, a big shift for me, you know, coming from a big company where it was expected that you're just moving up the ladder. And if you're not, then, you know, why aren't you where like here at MassDrop, like there's definitely like you're, it's fine. If you're contributing and you're doing what you want and like, you, but you know, you don't want to manage people, that's okay. And I don't know if that comes from the engineering side of companies where they just know that they're just not going to be people that want to manage other people, but they're still solid contributors. So I think that's, that's always, that's been a real positive um, switch for me. 
Do you have any favorite books or podcasts that are resources that you listen to? You know what? I'm on Instagram a ton. Like I follow oh, yeah. a lot of like quilters and stuff, mm-hmm. like like in the industry. Like I find that that's like a huge resource as I'm trying to find new products. But I mean, I find for for me and what I'm looking for and the amount of time I have available, like outside of work, that the Instagram is like it's super easy way for me to find resources and find people that are in the industry, what techniques are using, what different tools are using. And from there, it's a jumping off point. Like I, as a buyer, you're just naturally very curious. You know, I think it leads you to being able to find like new products and sources and stuff. That's this what I was saying. Really interesting. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you. I thank you for inviting me. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode to learn more. Check out getmarlo.com slash podcast.